Thank you for tuning into Mosaic Station, hosted by Mosaic Cross Cultural Center. Today we will be running a podcast on transportation in the South Bay area, featuring Monica Mallon, um, an employee of Associated Students Transportation Services Center, and Andrew Boone, a longtime transit advocate. My name is Olivia Freitas. Um, I'm a, pro- a cultural programmer at Mosaic Cross Cultural Center. Um, today, we're doing a podcast on transit in Silicon Valley, um, Santa Clara County. And I have two other friends in here with me if they would like to introduce themselves. Yeah, my name is Monica Mallon. I'm a senior here at San Jose State, and I'm a PR major and political science minor. I've been involved in transit advocacy really seriously for the past year and a half or so because I think it's something that is really important for us to be paying attention to. My name is Andrew Boone. I work as a stagehand. I work for the International Association of Theatrical Stage Employees, Local 16. I've been a volunteer advocate for sustainable transportation for about 10 years. Great. Um, Thank you guys for being here. I really appreciate you both and all the work you guys do in the community. kind of wanted to let you guys like introduce like the work you guys do in your own life uh, for transit advocacy, whether it's your own personal choices or what you guys bring out into the community. Yeah, so I've actually never owned a car in my entire life. I've been, you know, using transit, walking, biking, you know, for the past 22 years because I really think that it's not only an opportunity for me to reduce my personal emissions but it's also an opportunity for me to be able to succeed in life because you know a struggle for a lot of people is the financial burden of car ownership you know it can cost up to ten thousand dollars per year to own a car and by not owning a car you know I've been able to go to school and not be in debt and be able to access health care and other things that I've needed throughout my life and throughout my adulthood and so you know it's really important to me specifically for those two reasons. I have also never owned a car. I'm 40 years old. I'm from Phoenix, Arizona. I live there in San Diego, places I would call car hells. Like, (laughs) your quality of life is, like, ruined, kind of, just living in those cities. Uh, I moved to San Francisco in 2007 for this reason. Like, I took a job there, but I took it to not have a car and to live a better life. Um, since then I moved here to San Jose I've always relied on a bicycle because it's far more practical than any options we have in Phoenix San Diego and here (laughs) the whole Bay Area um, a bicycle like opens your opportunities like enormously because you can combine it with the crappy public transit system we have and get around decently well So I started my advocacy, and specifically in bicycle advocacy. I lived in East Palo Alto, one block from the border with Palo Alto, which was, and actually continues to be, was a pioneer in high-quality, modern bicycle networks. And Palo Alto actually has a quite quite good, comprehensive bicycle and pedestrian program, meaning five E's are all taken seriously. It's not just like San Jose where you throw engineering and you say you're done. Uh, with just bike lanes, You education is extremely important. So I learned a lot of things in Palo Alto, but I realized after some time, <laughs> bikes are not close to the most important thing that we need to get right in our transportation system. Buses are. Yeah, it's um, very, very important. Uh, Mobility is like a big part of our lives, especially when we're in a capitalist system where we have jobs and and school and family and places to be. So um, I kind of wanted you guys to talk about like the current state and politics of transit uh, in San Jose. Um, There's like a variety of services. We have BTA, BART and Caltrain. You guys can kind of maneuver it however you want. Um, But I know yesterday there was a really big meeting that you guys got a lot done at so yeah so you know I've been using all of the different transit uh, agencies BART, Caltrain, VTA, even Sam Trans on the peninsula sometimes and I think really the biggest issue with all of these agencies comes back to governance they're not governed in the right way I think all of them need to have 
directly elected board so that members of the public that genuinely care about making these things better can run. I also think that there needs to be much better integration within between these systems. You know, for example, a lot of times I'll take the 181 express bus uh, from Santa Clara Street near San Jose State up to the BART station uh, in Warm Springs. And most of the time, you know, when I get to the BART station, the train leaves yeah. before I even am able to get up onto the platform. So I think the little things like that can make the transit system so much more effective for everyone because, you know, if, if you own a car and you're trying to take transit and something like that happens to you, you're going to think really negatively of it. Oh, yeah. You know, like I don't Seriously. have a car, so I just have to deal with waiting 15 minutes for the next train or 20 minutes or whatever it is. Or an hour and a half. Or an hour and a half. Yeah. Yeah. Train. yeah, or VTA light rail. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I think really having a directly elected board would allow the transit agencies or the combined, you know, transit agency if they end up merging uh, to make more effective decisions and to do things that will benefit current and future riders. Because right now, you know, a lot of these things are kind of seen as either commute only or as a social service. When it's a social service, you know, they just assume that people will take it no matter how slow or crappy it is. And then for the ones that just see it only as a commute option, the service is only focused you know, for people that have nine to five jobs and they only need to commute during peak hours. Yeah, and it only takes them to the places like yeah. businesses. and Yeah, so like for Caltrain, you know, it's, it's you know, pretty good route, covers a really uh, wide area that connects to a lot of jobs, but, you know, if you're trying to get somewhere at like 10 p.m. or on a yeah, weekend. oh my God. <laughs> it's, it's really terrible that the headways are, you know, 60 to 90 minutes, even sometimes even worse than that. So I think really improving the service for everyone, not just for these specific groups is really important because, you know, transportation is responsible for the most emissions in the county. It's over 40%. And here in San Jose, it's actually about 63% now, which is really, really terrible. And, you know, we actually want to get people out of our, out of their cars and reduce emissions. We have to create a transit system that works for absolutely everyone, not just people that are disadvantaged or, you know, are choosing to take transit for environmental reasons or the commuters, as I already said, but really for every single person so that it is fast, frequent, reliable, and goes everywhere that they need to go. Yeah. And I think governance reform is really the only way to make that happen because, you know, we've been going to these VTA meetings for years and years and years, and it just takes so long for members of the public to be heard. Back in March, we, well, Andrew came up with the idea to reallocate uh, Measure B funds from the highway projects to transit operations to improve bus service, something that uh, we've been promoting with Silicon Valley transit users, and we've gotten a lot of other groups involved to support it. We've been packing the chambers for months and months and months. And, you know, the, the first referral was made in October. The second, you know, emphasis on this has to be on the agenda in January was made last night. You know, we're like March to <laughs> January, that's, that's too long. And yeah. that's, that would not happen if people that genuinely cared and actually had the time, because I think we can't blame all of this on the board members. You know, they have a lot of other jobs. They wear a lot of hats. You know, they're busy going from committee to committee. We need people that are compensated well and that are paid full time to focus on these things so that they can do the research. They can do outreach. You know, something that I would really want to do if I was on the VTA board is I would want to have, like, on transit office hours where, you know, I can just say, like, I'm going to be on this bus at this time that all day, amazing. riding on the bus. You know, people can come up to me and bring any kind of suggestions that they have. I would also want to go around to different groups, schools, neighborhood associations, and just get input from the people that I'm supposed to represent on a very regular basis. And then once I get that information, I would spend the time that I would have because, you know, I'd be full-time and compensated. Uh, to actually figure out how to implement some of these suggestions or combine them or figure out the best way to approach them. Because I think the board members are just doing so much right now that they don't have the time to do those things, but those things are really necessary to improve transit. It's absolutely true that democracy is the key to making progress, not just in addressing transportation issues, but everything in our lives. I mean, in, that's my belief. I'm actually shocked when I speak with other transit advocates who, who don't feel that it's important to have 
people who make elect uh, important decisions to be elected. I, I just I can't understand that. If it's obvious that all of the transit agencies in the Bay Area, except for BART and AC Transit, just ignore what the public wants. We've been going to these meetings. It's literally dozens of people, like the last three or four months, asking for one specific thing, change the allocations in the 2016 Measure B sales tax to reduce the amount of money that would be going into expanding highways for more car traffic and invest that money in operating buses. Dozens of people, every meeting, not a peep out of any of the board members until last night. Like we broke through last night, finally. Like that's how, that's how arrogant they are. Like how they think that, okay, we just don't have to even talk about what the public is demanding because we're not elected. Yeah. That's, that's it. I think what really pushed them to do that was the fact that we got um, a letter of fair consideration from Ro Khanna, who's a Congress member. Uh, you know, I met with one of his staffers, uh, who actually is also a graduate student here at San Jose State. He really understood uh, the issue from the student angle and was able to write this letter with specific uh, items for consideration, including changing the service guidelines to uh, maintain bus routes in areas that would no longer have access to transit, reevaluating uh, the highway projects based on BMT instead of LOS, which would probably require a lot of them to potentially be canceled, and then lastly, creating a plan to uh, increase the bus fleet to the 750 buses that Measure A promised and create a transit plan around that, because currently they have about uh, 500 buses or so and they're operating around 400 during peak so you know there's like somewhere between 80 and 100 buses that are just sitting there completely unused and that's not to mention the amount of buses that we were promised in yeah. the in measure a which was which passed in 2000 you know it's almost 2020 that's, <laughs> that's a long long time to wait for things to go in the opposite direction because they're actually operating less buses than they were in 2000 which is, is really, really terrible. Um, so I think that letter really shocked them. You know, I could see their reactions. They were like, wow, <laughs> you know, these these transit advocates really, really got support and they really, you know, convinced someone in power to support this. So maybe this is something that we should con consider. Uh, you know, and, and that's really the unfortunate thing that happens when you're just a, a grassroots advocate and, or you're just a, you know, just a person because we don't have the same power and connections that a lot of interest groups have. Have, and it's really hard to get these letters you know I got very lucky <laughs> with yeah. this one just you know because someone uh, you know that the new Rokana introduced me to him staffer happened to you know be also a student here so I, it was just a really lucky situation because I've asked I'm not in his district and I've asked my own representatives in my districts to support things like this many many times throughout the years as you know they're trying to make a lot of bus cuts that would impact San Jose State or my own neighborhood, and they just wouldn't do anything. So, you know, I think we're really at a huge disadvantage, and it's just, just a system that exists where interest groups are the only people that are able to get things done is just really messed up. But I think that what happened last night really proved that it is possible for, you know, for individuals, for the people to actually get what they wanted to be heard, um, you know. Because normally it's just all about who's who's paying who, Honestly. who has connections, and you know that's really not okay. But I think we're finally starting to see some change, and things are finally starting to move in the right direction, which is something that I'm really really excited about. The the Valley Transportation Authority, we all call it VTA, which it controls all transportation policy in Santa Clara County: highways, buses, light rail bicycles, walking, everything, our entire lives. Um, they will use the most devious, dirty tricks to suppress public input. It's really disgusting, more, more so than other transit agencies like Caltrain Board of Directors that I've attended over the years. They, about, I think it's three times a year, they intentionally move the Board of Directors meeting from the Board of Supervisors uh, Chambers in at 70 West Heading Street. That's near downtown San Jose. It's very easy to get there. Um, I mean, I've 
it's not very easy relatively. to get anywhere, but yes, uh, relatively yeah. easy to get there. It's close to Caltrain. There's like well, there's buses. <laughs> um, you can even ride a bicycle or walk there easily from downtown San Jose. They move it to 3331 North 1st Street, which is at in the intersections Fair Oaks. That's past Bonnegu Expressway on purpose into, that's where the VTA headquarters is, so that it's difficult for people to go to meetings and comment. They, the last time it was two months ago, and the excuse was, oh, the county workers are on strike and they might protest at 70 West Heading Street. So we can't have a meeting there. Total bullshit. Yeah. Total bullshit so that they for they you roughly cut the number of people attending the meeting in half when when they put it out there where it's hard to get to well and it makes it really hard to organize because for that meeting in october i had been going to meetings you know pretty much every day promoting this event and giving the 70 west heading address you know uh you know i don't have access to a lot of money or resources or anything so i was like taking the bus hours and hours and hours to go to these meetings to try to convince people to come to this meeting. And then it changed at the last minute. Like literally, I think it was two days in advance. So I had to really try to scramble and email and, and call and text everyone and you know put stuff out on social media to try to get people to realize that it was changed. And you know people did end up still showing up. And still 50 people showed yeah. up and still 25 people commented demanding reallocation of Measure B funds. Yeah, so we were able to pull it off, and I think that, you know, for some reason we were able to, to get a lot of people to come. And people were also upset about the express buses, and they heard us talking about the reallocation, so they kind of included similar themes in their comments too. But, you know, most of the time when that happens, there's almost no turnout. Like, when they were talking about uh, cutting Route 65, for example, they moved it up there. We had been telling people the 70 West Heading address, they changed it kind of, you know, again, like a few days, maybe a week uh, in advance, and it was really hard to get people to come because, first of all, it was really far away. People that relied on that bus in the southern portion where they would have to walk, you know, mile and a half, two miles to another route, couldn't even get to the meeting because so far they can come to the meeting, but they can't get back home uh, just because of how long it would have taken. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's things like that that just make it really hard. It is possible sometimes to kind of work around these things but it's just unnecessary, unnecessarily difficult and frustrating. Like, we shouldn't even have to go to these meetings to create change. Like, yeah, they should seriously. be coming to us. They should be asking us what we want, and they should be doing it. Like, one of the biggest issues that I've had throughout this whole process is they're not very responsive to emails at all. And when you call them, you only get to talk to staff. So there is, it's pretty much impossible to get in contact with the board members unless you know them or you have their own like personal email or phone number, which is the case for me for one board member, but all the others I have no possible way of getting in contact with. You know, there's a few where I know people on the staff and I can like talk to them and say, hey, can you pass along this information? And they usually do, but that's a very small percentage of the board members. And those are usually the board members that I don't have to convince. Yeah. You know, it's the ones that, that really do need to hear from us that we just can't talk to at all. But you know, what I found with the BART board of directors is that they're usually a lot more responsive because they're, they're paid, they're elected, you know, they're not usually elected officials, uh, you know, on city councils or anything like that. So they just have a lot more time to respond and to hear from people. And, you know, sometimes they don't do what people want them to do, but I think that they are actually seeing and, and reading the information. Whereas with the VTA board members, they don't even have VTA email addresses, so you have to email them at the city or county email. And that's just flooded with all the same yeah. the other issues, <laughs> like any issue that, you know, for the, for the mayor, like he probably gets thousands of emails maybe a day. So it's just impossible, and there's no specific email for VTA, and the staff just, you know, transit is just such a low priority for them that it, it rarely gets passed on if it, if it even ever gets passed on. So I think just not being able to contact the board members is also a huge issue. The, the other major um, problem, in my opinion, aside from this government's dysfunctionality, the lack of democracy, and just like the lack of like trying, like having, setting up procedures like and creating a culture where your priority is the people. Other than that, um, 
in my opinion, I mean, we suffer overall in the whole world from the wealthy control everything. So there's no exception here. And so what happens is in transportation, the things that are prioritized are the types of transportation services that wealthy people use. Highways and rail, heavy rail, that BART and Caltrain, especially Caltrain. Yeah. The at the median income of Caltrain passengers is a hundred and thirty thousand dollars a year. That's so crazy. Median. What? Median. That means there's it's higher than that. Half the people make more than that who are riding Caltrain. Now this is by design. The fares are a ripoff. A uh, round trip, and I take this to go to work in San Francisco, is twenty one dollars. And that's you can get a discount if you buy a monthly pass. But what if you don't work a lot of days like me in San Francisco? I don't always work in San Francisco. You have to buy that single fare. <laughs> and that's it. Yeah. And they voted a few months ago to raise it to $25 round trip. In a couple of years, it'll be $25. Now, this, this is a 150-year tradition of Caltrain. Caltrain was built to take very wealthy people from San Francisco south to their landed estates. Palo Alto was founded by Leland Stanford, one yeah. of the wealthiest men in the, in the country, in the world at that time. And the system was then designed as it is now to keep poor people off it on purpose. Now, no one will admit that in the Caltrain Board of Directors or staff. In fact, it's an idea that it doesn't even, like they've never heard of that. <laughs> like it, it goes completely in one ear and out the other. At, the meeting where they voted to raise the fares, $25 an hour, I said, this is a racist, sexist policy. Why? Because people who are not light-skinned and who are not men are paid like a huge amount less. What, what is the number? 30%, 50% less. And so you're blocking groups of people by race, by gender, by their national status, uh, all those things, any group that has faces other forms of dis discrimination has trouble riding Caltrain. And they could have lower fares with very simple changes. They give an extreme discount to, it's called the GoPass program. So GoPass is where they sell tickets, and these are, these are tick passes where you can ride the whole zones. Gilroy to San Francisco, you get a pass all the time. If you work for a company that buys the passes from Caltrain at a discount of like 80%, maybe 75% that they sell the passes to those companies. What? Yeah, I think they only have to pay a few hundred dollars per person per year. Yeah, so if you are a highly paid person at a big tech company or at Stanford, you get for free, on top of your high salary, a Caltrain pass. And the, pay the trains are packed. Like, there's no reason to have that program basically at all. It's, it was originally designed like 10 years ago because the trains had lower ridership, like half, as they do today. But they maintain it. It's just another thing keeping poor people off the train unnecessarily. The other issue, I mean, that I think is even bigger than prioritizing these high-cost rail systems. And BART is like, the BART extension to San Jose and Santa Clara, that is a huge disaster. The price now, just to get it from Berryessa to Santa Clara, is $5.6 billion, and it won't happen until 2030. This is according to what they're saying now. It's going to be 2035 and $7 billion, you know? Yeah. For four train stations. And one of those is, in, is Santa Clara. Like, there's already a train, tra a train station there. They want to build a train line from a train station to another train station that there's already trains running between those stations in a tunnel underground. Yeah. And all the VTA board members say, oh, this is a great idea and I support it. Well, and if Caltrain and BART <laughs> integrated their schedules, you could just easily get off at Deardon Station on BART and transfer, you know, have like a two-minute transfer to Caltrain and just get there a lot faster. <laughs> but they're obviously not going to do that. They're never going to do that. In fact, the, where they're going to put the BART station under Santa Clara Street right outside of SAP Center. They're going to do underground? Underground, there. So if you want to switch between BART and Caltrain at Deardon Station, 
you gotta say you're coming on BART, you gotta come up the extra long elevators and escalators because they chose a single bore design, meaning one tunnel that fits trains in both directions instead of two tunnels, which is used everywhere else in the BART system in 99% of underground rail in the world. So that tube has to be lower. You come out of this long vertical path you have to take. You Maybe you have to cross Santa Clara Street, walk all the way over to Deerdown Station. It depends how they rebuild Deerdown Station theoretically if, like, if high-speed rail is ever built here. If it's ever built here, they might move the station to Santa Clara Street. My point is, why do you not come in on a platform, go up one level to the Caltrain level or or two level, why isn't it all built into one station? That's how it was in Stockholm when, when I was a student there in college and graduate school in Stockholm. The metro had only three lines. The whole Stockholm is only three lines. They all come into one spot, one station in the middle, and they're stacked on top of each other in three levels. You literally take an elevator from one platform to the next one, and you're on the other line to get the other line that goes out. And those three lines then branch out. It covers the whole city. It's cheap. It's cheap for them to run that system. They do not dump billions of dollars into building dysfunctional rail systems. The other super important problem that I think is even worse is this obsession with expanding highways for more car traffic. Yeah, now we are mired <laughs> we are mired in that the whole history of cars in the United States worse than anywhere else in the world, but every city in the world has made that mistake. Some some of them are are fixing it slowly and taking highways out like Seoul South Korea took a highway out, a double decker highway that they had built over a creek. They put the creek back. Now it's not natural anymore, but at least like they fixed one highway. <laughs> Hamburg, Germany is going to do the same with a major highway. We're, we're not there. We're still on our, and we're paying taxes right now at billions of dollars. Like, I don't know the total billions of dollars. Just the 2016 Measure B sales tax in Santa Clara County is $1.85 billion over 30 years most of which will go into highway expansion projects. They're not projects to maintain the highway system or to make the highway system safer, which we desperately need. I there are so many deaths on the highways. So you're gonna... No, I'm just like, everything you're saying is amazing. Horrible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so people are dying. We're the, our local governments are massacring people by forcing them to drive. So at, at, in San Jose right now, the death count in car crashes just on city streets is 50 so far this year we're probably going to end up at 60 again by the end of the year that's just city streets that doesn't count the highways in san jose and we all the elected officials almost all the elected officials want to keep digging this hole deeper so widen highways with more lanes san jose just the city of san jose has many billions of dollars it's well over 10 billion it's probably in the tens of billions of highway traffic capacity expansion projects. That means during rush hour, like the point of it is to fit more cars through during rush hour. That's it. Yep. It's not for safety like they lie and say it is. On yesterday, I spoke with my elected official in the San Jose City Council, Dev Davis, in person. And I, 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 I explained to her our campaign about Measure B reallocation funds. And the first thing she said was, the interchange projects, those aren't, those aren't highway expansion projects, those are safety projects. Like, she either actually believes this, or it's just the propaganda, she's just regurgitating the propaganda she's being given by San Jose staff and VTA staff. So anyway, the point is that we have a long list of brand new interchanges they want to build. Here in San Jose, they want to put one at Zanker and 101. There's no interchange there at all. In fact, Caltrans said you can't build one there because there's already one less than one mile down the highway. I don't know which it is, south south and east. What is, I don't know because I don't use this crap. <laughs> yeah, uh, there's a highway interchange less than a mile away. So Caltrans said you can't put another highway interchange there because it's dangerous, the merging thing. What is? I heard Sam Licardo, Mayor Sam Licardo, San Jose Mayor Sam Licardo say at a city council meeting, we have to do this. We need to make a full interchange there. We've already been told no by Caltrans. 
Like that's the level of obsession. And what what happens when you widen highways and build new interchanges? Only one thing happens, more cars go into it. It makes the traffic jams bigger and worse. If your goal was to make traffic jams worse, this is what you would do. And they say that this is to do the opposite of that. It's Orwellian. It's like it's like highway expansion will clear the congestion. It's yeah. like do you really think we believe that still? And they've been trying to, you know, they've been following the same pattern of expanding highways over and over again. Where I live, you know, there used to not be Highway 85. They put that in. It's pretty much right across from where I live. Uh, you know, and they did that because Camden Ave and Hillsdale Ave were getting really, really congested. And now, the highway's congested and the Camden Ave and Hillsdale Ave are congested. So, we really completely lost. They probably had to, you know, buy people's homes that they lived in or land that was used for parks or just open space to build that highway. And it didn't make anything better, and they wasted our tax dollars on that. Which is just completely the wrong thing to do. Like, because with a lot of these projects, they are getting some federal matching. But even if, you know, and obviously if they reallocated it to transit operations or bike and pedestrian improvements, they would lose that federal matching. But even without that, even if that federal matching is 50-50, they would still have plenty of money to run a bus network fix every single street, build sidewalks in every unincorporated area, you know, have protected bike lanes on, you know, every major street in the entire county for, you know, not even the full amount that they're spending on these things because of the federal matching. Right now, right now, like, right now, like today maybe, I don't know, as 14 miles of Highway 101 in San Mateo County is being widened from 8 to 10 lanes like for $600 million. This was, this is the highest priority transportation project of any kind in San Mateo County. Um, <laughs> wait, it's still, they're convinced that this is the solution to mobility. And here's what they're saying. Oh, well, those two new lanes, they're express lanes. Oh, what's an express lane? That's a toll lane for single occupancy drivers. If you drive a car, you can pay to drive in this supposedly congestion-free lane, and that's supposed to alleviate the congestion. Now we have this like tiny example of congestion pricing. Instead of full congestion pricing, which is what we need, you pay to drive on the highway. Everything else where there's like a lot of demand for something, like ice cream shops in Palo Alto, you pay more. There's a line out the door. Like every time a new ice cream shop opens on University Avenue in Palo Alto, there's a line down the block for some reason. And the price is not low. It's high. Like that's how it works. You can't just magically give away this super expensive resource and expect it to function. So instead of doing that, we're like just taking this like tiny baby step toward congestion pricing, which is like, it's just bullshit, the whole idea. Right now, um, MTC, the Metropolitan Transportation Commission, along with three corporate lobbying groups, the Silicon Valley Leadership Group, the Bay Area Council, and SPUR, uh, what's the acronym for SPUR, San Francisco Policy, Policy <laughs> Research, supposed to be a sustainable transportation advocacy group. They're trying to put a 1% sales tax increase on the ballot, meaning all nine counties in the Bay Area's ballot. That means increasing the sales tax rate, which is like 9.5% or 10% in some places, by one percentage point. So 9.5% to 10.5% to, they, they say, to raise $100 billion and spend that $100 billion over 40 years. A huge chunk of that is destined to go into this express lane network idea, which is adding lanes to the highways, supposedly to prioritize buses and carpools, but it increases capacity for regular cars. They could put toll lanes on the highways by just using the lanes they already have at an extremely lower cost. Thus, you know, that would actually be an improvement if you took the lanes where you're giving it all away for free and, and had a toll lane for that and then buses could go in it. That would actually I mean, be improvement. We're paying to take the bus and the train. People should be paying to use the highways. 
you know, and they talk all about this whole fare box recovery, like, we're not going to expand bus service because fare box recovery is low. I think it's like around 7% for VTA. What's fare box recovery? It means how much money VTA makes off of fares. Oh, okay. So it's, it's highly subsidized by the sales tax mainly. And then they get some federal money and some state money. So basically, riders aren't really funding VTA is the point. And so yeah. they're saying, you know, the fare box recovery is so low, so we can't afford to, um, you know, expand transit. Or we shouldn't expand transit until that goes up. But, you know, Highway 101. Fare box recovery is zero percent, you know, until they build these express lanes. <laughs> any any highway that doesn't have these express lanes, the fare box recovery is zero percent. And when they are collecting those tolls from the express lanes, it doesn't even necessarily have to go to operations. It can go to any type of transportation. It actually goes to maintaining the express lane, correct? Well, after it gets over that the cost, then they can decide where to spend it. But my understanding is that they never pay back the cost because it's so high. Yeah. Right um, the $600 million that's being spent right now to widen 14 miles of Highway 101 in San Mateo County from 8 to 10 lanes, that $600 million I don't think ever gets paid back by the tolls. The tolls are some small amount total compared to these giant costs. Yeah, I mean, what they should really do is just have tolls on every single lane and after they pay back the cost to operate the lanes, just put all that into actual sustainable transportation. Because, you know, we're paying to take sustainable transportation. We are spending our own money Yeah. to use these resources that we are being taxed for. We're also being taxed for the highways. There should be some sort of level of fare box recovery or <laughs> something like that for that, and they should also have standards for that. You know, if highways aren't giving them the same fare box recovery that they need to maintain the highway system uh, or the toll lanes, then they should stop expanding them. You know, same thing. We're not going to expand bus service because, or we're going to cut bus service because fare box recovery is low. We're not going to expand bus service because fare box recovery is low. Well, if fare box recovery recovery for the highways is low, then maybe you shouldn't expand that either. Um, I kind of want to ask about how why you guys prefer or believe more in bus service versus the heavy rail. I know you guys were kind of talking about it earlier, but like, well, I think. For me, I just don't think that it's possible for heavy rail to go everywhere. And, you know, I need to get to places that are not... I live in an area yeah. where there's no rail. You know, uh, I think buses are just a much more efficient way to transport people around. I think we need to have heavy rail, and we should make it as good as we possibly can and have the fares reasonable enough so that everyone can take them or just make all transit free eventually. Um, but I think we really need a strong feeder bus network that allows people to access rail and also a bus network that allows people to access other destinations that they're trying to get to. Yeah. Because I think, you know, something that I've seen happen in a lot of areas is there's just no bus. Like, you know, I've been taking transit for a long time. They make cuts, you know, I maybe don't realize them. I try to get somewhere, get to the stop and it's like, oh, this bus doesn't exist. Or, you know, I'll look it up on Google Maps or the transit app and be like, oh, this route doesn't exist. There's no bus that will take me to this place anymore. So I think it's really important to have buses going everywhere at very, you know, regular frequencies, like at least at least 15 minutes at the bare minimum everywhere. Yes. You know? the, the lack of high quality bus service, it means fa- it has to be fast and frequent and everywhere. That's what a bus system will work if it has those characteristics. This is another example of leaders in our area just ignoring what is very good success is all over the world. So the concept that they like to say that they're doing is to create bus rapid transit, meaning buses that go rapidly, as rapidly as, as trains, as, as high quality as trains. Um, that works, like that's a huge success, especially in South America. Los Angeles has made huge leaps ahead where it was building real bus rapid transit or real for the United States. And I don't know the frequency. I've heard numbers like five minutes. I don't know if that's correct. Probably something around there. Um, Like that would work. We could do that and have, you know, a network of such lines across Santa Clara County. I don't know the cost low cost we're talking the cheapest thing you could do the the cheapest way of mass transit of providing mobility for everyone that that works what did the vta board of directors do in 2015 they canceled their own project to do that on el camino real they were gonna take 
two of the six lanes that are there, and the six lanes don't need to be there. There isn't that much car traffic to, to need six lanes. Like, it's excess capacity. Just like all of our big roadways, there are more lanes than you need for the amount of driving that we're doing and that we're going to do in the future. They refused to make those bus-only lanes. They were going to make two of the lanes bus-only lanes so that you could get from Palo Alto to San Jose I think it was reducing the time from 85 minutes to 45 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. Like, hello, and it just did. It just voted against it. <laughs> yeah, um, hello. Um, I mean, and that would be such a great alternative to Caltrain off-peak because Caltrain is so infrequent. We had yeah, it takes you know, so long. buses that were running every, every 10 minutes or so during that time. You know, Even if you're coming from south or north or somewhere that is not along El Camino Real, you can still take another bus and connect there. Just like you would go to Deerdon Station and, you know, get to where you need to go at all times of the day. Yeah, and since buses are on the roads, like with all of the traffic, that's where it gets really important to make bus-only lanes and rapid transit and, like, specific or ways to, like, sort of um, push away all of the car traffic so it allows buses to actually be able to get places yeah, and not like do, 85 minutes they can do signal priority or signal preemption uh at every single traffic light and that would basically mean that when the bus is approaching the intersection the signal recognizes it and the bus can uh, get priority over cars uh, to move faster so that would be something that would really help speed up transit and even if they they could do this and actually run more service with the current budget because right now, since there's so much traffic and buses don't have priority, they have to run a lot of buses on a route to maintain whatever the frequency is. So if they do this, like, you know, let's say on, you know, uh, Route 73, they normally run four buses. They would only need to run three, and they could use that other bus to create a new route or improve yeah. frequency on another route. So this is something that they can do without increasing the budget that would really have a dramatic positive impact on the amount of coverage that they can provide, which would help people that don't have transit in their area get around, and it would help people in areas that do have good transit get to us. Yeah, so it's just so it's, inefficient. It's really beneficial for everyone, but it does take a lot of political will because a lot of these routes, you know, they go through multiple cities, some of them go through unincorporated areas, so there has to be coordination between all of those, those like the county, whatever cities the route passes through, and VTA. To make that happen and it does cost some money uh, initially but I mean that is something that they could really do if they really do refuse to increase the operations budget uh, that would really dramatically improve transit with existing resources yeah but but I do think like they do need to reallocate measure funds they do need to stop expanding highways that they need to at least run the buses that they have and hire drivers to run those buses and hopefully expand their fleet, hire even more drivers, and just create more green jobs that will allow people to live here in this county and support their families. But, I mean, you know, there's there's a lot of options and there's a lot of solutions out there that can happen, like, right now. They're just <laughs> refusing to do any of them. Awesome. And they want to talk about these autonomous pods that are driverless yeah. and don't even exist yet, you know? like Seriously. At, at the meeting last night, you know, we really emphasized that there's solutions that exist, Buses driven by humans work in other places. You know, I went to Vancouver earlier this year. It worked so well. The, the trains were coming every five minutes. The buses, even in really rural areas, more rural than, than anything anywhere around here, like even more rural than like Almond Valley or someplace like that. You know, the buses were running every 20 minutes or so, and they're packed, and people were taking them. It's like, That's it's incredible. not complicated. Yeah, I want to, um, you guys already talked about this also, but I wanted to just move into talking about it from the lens of like, the climate crisis and how transit and mobility and the climate crisis really like dance with each other like before our very eyes so I wanted to hear you guys' input on that um I don't know what I was gonna say the like the climate catastrophe is sort of it seems to be like theoretical in the minds of the elected officials like they don't like, if you don't do anything about it that's meaningful, it means you don't believe that it's real. Like, they're following the beliefs of the president. It's not real. It, like, that, that's only yeah, explanation. Or frankly. it's not real or I don't care. Yeah. Um, that's the policy right now. 
what we need to do is a radical change to our transportation system and land use. Like, how is the city built? Where do you put buildings? What kind of buildings do you build? What is, what is your transportation system? So we need to undo these massive mistakes of the past. We need to not have this massive highway system that's a failure. And it, it causing climate change more than any other thing, like any single thing, maybe eating meat yeah. is at that level of the damage. It, highways are that. Like, so do something. So... <laughs> Um, other places around the world, like I mentioned before, are taking some highways out. And it, it wasn't even to address catastrophic climate change. It was just to make their lives better. But that's like, in my opinion, what I know about this, the single biggest thing we could do. And it would save money. So like, reduce your costs, improve public health, don't poison people with air pollution, which is a significant problem that also there's nothing being done about. Yeah. You know, the people who have the least financial resources are forced to live in apartments right next to the highway. Like, we built apartments. There's your apartment, and there's a wall, and then there's cars right next to it. So that poisons everyone living there, especially children and seniors. And there's nothing in the San Jose General Plan about this. Yeah. It's not. Yeah, like, <laughs> in, in where I live in, in Cambrian Park, actually, all of the apartments and rental duplexes are all across from Highway 85. That's the main area where, like, pretty much all of the other homes, units, whatever you want to say, uh, in the area are homes that people own. Everyone that's renting pretty much lives in this area that's right across from the highway, which is just, is really, really messed up. And, you know, it's just, and, you know, even for us, like, we're pretty far south. Whenever there are these fires, we get all this pollution coming off from the mountains and smoke and everything, and it's it's just really, really terrible. We, we propose a, in our opinion, this is a minor baby step in addressing catastrophic climate change. First, close Highway 87, to car traffic, why high and, and convert it into a greenway. So high, any highway like Highway 87 is so wide. Actually, if you were to be able to walk out on it, it's as it's wider than most city parks. There's a huge amount of land there. They destroyed entire neighborhoods to build that, and not very long ago, 20 yeah. years. That was the last highway built in San Jose, um, and it, it was you know right through the downtown which is a horrible idea because the place where you can actually walk and bike now you've put a wall there is every place you want to cross it is dangerous yeah seriously <laughs> you gotta go really uphill or really downhill yeah they we could we could turn that into a greenway which was a concept in hamburg and i think um valencia in spain you instead of cars you put there a park you turn it into a beautiful huge park that has bike paths and walking paths and we could even put rapid buses there there's just so much space and you know convert that land back to how it was usable by people i'm not saying people who don't drive cars are not people but the People are forced into that commute, into that lifestyle, driving cars on Highway 87. We could expand uh, the part of downtown San Jose that already is car-free, this campus, San Jose State University. And did you know that San Carlos Street used to run right through the campus? Yeah. It's been turned into a car-free area. It's been improved. We could keep doing that. Like, that was a good idea. Let's do some more of it. Gradually, bit by bit, let's convert the streets into being just dominated by car traffic and dangerous into being usable by people. Walking, biking, any way you want, want to transport yourselves. This is what's happened in lots of cities all around the world. Copenhagen, Denmark is a prominent example where over a, a span of 50 years now, 40 years, 50 years, Slowly, bit by bit, they expanded their, their pedestrian zone, their car-free zone in the middle. I don't know how much bigger it is than when it started much bigger. Um, and 
don't know. It's just obvious to me that it's better. Like yes. they, <laughs> they cut they cut the number of people driving by some huge amount. Bicycling, especially in Denmark, um, Denmark and Netherlands are the world leaders in in integrating bicycle use into daily life. Not anything. This is like the cheapest, simplest thing. You know what they do in, in Netherlands? It's like it's just like a sidewalk, but it's properly engineered so you don't get killed by someone driving a car who can't see you. You know, they they wrote down design standards to do this and create um, a system where you can easily walk and bike. We can do it in San Jose. There's only one candidate for San Jose City Council who has even said the words car-free downtown San Jose. That's Marshall Woodmancy. Marshall Woodmancy included in his platform to make downtown San Jose car-free. That's a baby step we need to take very soon if we're going to do anything meaningful about climate change. I think people want these things, even people that drive. Something that I've really focused on for these past few months is going to people that, you know, support climate action that are concerned about the environmental impact of the decisions our elected officials are making. I've gone to them and I've explained a lot of these transit issues and explained why we need a better transit system and explained and just shown them how it works in other places and how it actually used to work a lot better in the past here when they funded the bus network. Uh, And by talking to them and really explaining these things and just educating them, because so many people are just completely uneducated about transit, walking, and biking. They don't know anything. It's not that they're against what we're doing, they're just uneducated. Uh, So that's why I've really been focusing on education. And a lot of these people have actually shown up to these past few board meetings and they've said, I drive a car, I want other options, I want better transit, I want to be able to get around in a sustainable way. And I think that, you know, there's this idea that everyone that drives loves driving and wants more. Oh, yeah. <laughs> more lanes on the highways. Oh, yeah. And all this stuff. But that's actually not true, um, you know, especially if we as transit users and, you know, people using sustainable transportation and living without cars take the time to educate these people and explain these things to people. You know, that they're, they're probably going to change their minds most of the time. Like, I would say about 80% of the time when I explain all these things to people, they agree with me. There's like maybe 20% that will argue with me and say the only way to, to make things better is to add lanes to highways, you know, transit isn't going to work. But that's a very small minority. Most people are completely open, but, you know, it's, it's just when you are relying on the terrible transit system and unsafe streets, it's hard to get to these people and say these things, and it just takes a huge amount of effort. Um, but, you know, I think that's something that is really, really important, and that's why I really appreciate a lot of the work that uh, San Jose Spotlight and San Jose Inside have been doing to raise awareness for these issues. I'm doing a lot of articles about transit, a lot of articles about pedestrian safety, and that's really been helping to get people aware of what's going on, what the issues are, and who's making these <laughs> bad decisions, and how uh, people can get involved. You know, <laughs> because unfortunately these, these governments don't put out the information in an easily accessible way. and when they do put out the information, which I mean they are technically required to, it's in a very, very inaccessible format. It's like a 200-page document that's vague and says things in, in ways that, that, that people don't understand. So just having good quality reporting about these issues and having people from the, the transit and sustainable transportation community talking to people is really what makes a huge difference in changing uh, people's minds about these things because People really do care if they have the information. They just don't have the information. Yeah. I wanted to allow you guys some time to talk about, like, your own advocacy work. I know you guys have been going to meetings for a really long time and how you guys could tell whoever's listening how they could start advocating for transit in a variety of ways or just getting involved. Yeah, I mean, I think really the best thing that you can do to create change is to run for office, which is what Andrew's doing, what Marshall's doing. Uh, you know, if, if the best thing to do is just get yourself in one of those seats so that you can make good decisions. If you can't do that, the second best thing to do is to show up at these meetings and make co- public comments and tell your elected officials, your representatives, how they can represent you. Uh, you know, I think there's a lot of emphasis right now in the activist community on strikes and protests which do have their value, but you know it's also important to go to the meetings where decisions are made. 
<laughs> there's there's probably a protest at City Hall right now. And guess what? They're not going to be listened to at all. But last night when we brought, you know, close to 40 people to a meeting and they spoke and we put in the effort to get a, a letter from Representative Rokana, we were actually listened to. So while it may not be as exciting to go to a meeting in a room for seven hours, yeah. and normally, <laughs> and at the Board of Supervisors, it just gets really, really, really cold. It's freezing cold in that room. <laughs> you know, it's not a pleasant experience, but that is the way to create change because they will be forced to listen to you. If you pack the chambers, you know, like, I think the meeting started at 5.30 or 5.45 or something, and they didn't finish with public comments until after 7 o'clock. So they were forced to listen to our viewpoint for that amount of time. If you're protesting outside of City Hall, they're not going to listen. They're just going to be in their offices doing whatever they're doing. So I think these meetings are really key. The VTA Board of Directors meets on the first Thursday of every month at 70 West Heading Street, but next month they're going to be meeting on the second Tuesday, uh, which is January 9th at 5.30. Hopefully at 70 West Heading Street, it might get moved to their River Oaks headquarters. But um, yeah, just... You know, go to the VTA website, see when the board meetings are, even see when the committee meetings are, because, you know, those are another opportunity to make your voice heard and just go to the meetings. <laughs> That's really what I've learned is the best thing to do, because I used to go to a lot of protests, but I just realized that, you know, it just got really ineffective. You know, we have to go to where these representatives are and where decisions are being made. That's, you know, a really key thing to do if you're not in a place to run for office or you don't want to run for office. That's that's a huge thing that you can do. And we've really, in the past you know, few months, started to see a lot of success with that. It just, it takes time. You know, you can't just say that you want something. You know, in, in March, Andrew, Judy, and I, we were at the Peace and Justice Center and we said, you know, we want to do this. This is something that's important to us. And we kind of started this campaign. So it took, it took a really long time and a lot of effort. But, you know, we're at a point where this is going to be on the agenda next month. So we made real change by showing up to meetings over and over and over again. So that's something I really want to emphasize. It's not super exciting. It's not, you know, it's not something that is going to be very fun, but it's it's something that's really important and that a lot more people should start doing. Save the date, January 9, 2020. That's the next VTA Board of Directors meeting, 5.30 p.m., now we have, well, I'm going to lead the effort to make sure that that meeting takes place at 70 West Heading Street, and they don't do this bullshit, last minute, psych, we're having it off in our offices yeah. thing, trick. You know, I'm, I already called the VTA board secretary this morning, and I said, I want this meeting at 70 West Heading Street, 200 people or more going to show up. And I'm going to call every single board of directors member and ask for the meeting to be here. That's the length of ridiculousness we have to go to. But be there on January 9th, 5.30 p.m., 70 West Heading Street. Our goal is 200 people. A thousand would be better. And the reason is because on the agenda are two hugely important things. Reallocating... 2016 Measure B sales tax money from the highway programs to bus service and declaring a climate change emergency. Those are both on the same agenda at this January 9 meeting. That Come to, come to this meeting. And our, our website is svtu.org, correct? svtransitusers.org. siliconvalleytransitusers.org, the whole thing? No, just svtransitusers svtransitusers.org. Yeah, and then we also have Facebook, which is just uh, Silicon Valley Transit Users. And, you know, we're, we're all going to try to put out as much information as possible, and Transportation Solutions is also going to be spreading a lot of awareness for this, too. But, you know, just important to check the VTA website or the SVTU website or Facebook or something just to make sure the location, because... <laughs> I mean, there's still the chance that they could not listen to us and, and move it. it. So just just double check that and and really try to be there because this is a huge opportunity. You know, it's it's going to be really hard to get this reallocation because we need nine out of the twelve uh, board members to support it, and they're they're probably not going to vote on it at this meeting. They're probably going to have a discussion and talk about you know what projects they're going to cancel, what the different options are. But it's really important for us to go there and show our support for this 
so that we can hopefully get a vote in February on this because if we get a vote early enough in the year, they'll be able to hire enough drivers to run the you know 80 buses that they have in time for the 2021 transit plan. So that plan would take effect in 13 months. We could have much, much better transit service. So it's very important for this to happen earlier in the year rather than later. Because if this doesn't happen, you know, they're funding operations with reserves, so they will probably cut a few bus routes. So, you know, we, we're either going to have that, or if we really show up to this meeting, we're going to have, like, more routes, better frequency, more people having access to transit. And that would end the death spiral, because VTA is in this death spiral where it's, like, cuts, increasing increases in fares, and that leads to low ridership, and it just repeats and repeats and repeats over yeah, and over again. Yeah, and then they justify it with yeah. the low ridership. Yeah, but, you know, if they improve service, more people ride it, and then we'll get to have more service in the future, and they'll start to, you know, be more open to things like bus rapid transit, bus lanes, signal preemption, because, you know, they see that people are riding the service and ridership is going up and that, you know, something that more people are taking. So this is, you know, yeah, I mean, if they do this, the bus is still going to be slow, but it's the first step in solving a much bigger problem and really ending this, this death spiral that has just been making it worse and worse and worse. Yeah. Is there anything else you guys would like to share before we wrap up the podcast? Um, I'd like to share that um, the primary elections are on March 3rd, 2020. Uh, That's for the state of California, and that's actually Super Duper Tuesday nationally. So something like more than half of the U.S. presidential um, nominating, what's it called, the electoral votes are going to be decided on March 3rd, you know, half the states or something, including California, uh, vote on that day uh, for national elections, state elections, local elections. So San Jose City Council and other large cities in California also have their own primary elections on March 3rd. San Jose City Council districts 2, 4, 6, 8, and 10 all have elections this year. They don't always have elections. Sometimes the incumbent is reelected with nobody else on the ballot. That's not an election. No. That's how that's how it worked in the Soviet Union. Like just I'm there. Actually, they had lists of multiple candidates, but it was rigged. Um, so we 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 have a choice. We have democracy in all five San Jose City Council districts this time, and I urge everyone to get involved in these elections. Uh, there's a great opportunity, much more than usual, in the San Jose City Council elections this time. Because in districts uh, 4, 6, and 10, we have the opportunities to elect progressives. True progressives. People are going to vote for different things. We're going to stop voting against funding affordable housing. We're going to do something about transportation crisis. going to do something about the climate change catastrophe. I'm endorsing Marshall Woodmancy for District 6 and campaigning for him. Wee Tran in District 4 and Jenny Higgins Bradanini in District 10. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I think that everyone at San Jose State especially really needs to vote. Young people really have some of the lowest turnout pretty much every election and it's really disappointing because we're basically just giving up our opportunity to have a say. Like. You know, we wouldn't have to go through this whole process of like going to meetings and making public comments if we just had leaders that represented us. And the thing is, they're called representatives. Yep. You know? <laughs> but if you don't vote, you don't have the chance to elect people that will represent you. So it's really important to vote, really important to register to vote. And the, the great thing this time is that everybody's going to get a vote by mail ballot and it's going to be a lot easier to vote. You can go to any vote center. You don't have to go to your specific precinct. So, you know, if you live in Sunnyvale, but you go to school here, you can go to a vote center that's close to San Jose State. So it really gives you a lot more options for voting. And everyone's still getting the mail ballot. So you can still do that. And the postage is paid for already. So you don't have to pay anything for that. So they're making it really easy to vote. So we really need to vote, especially here at San Jose State, because, you know, there's over 30,000 people here. There have been a lot of elections that have been decided by less than a thousand votes, some Le- even less than a hundred <clears throat> votes. Yeah, that's insane. Actually, Sylvia Reynas and Blondie and Sergio Jimenez and Maya Sparsa 
the margin was in the hundreds. And in some of those cases, it was 12, or in Lon Dieppe's case, he was elected with a margin of 12 votes. Yeah, so I live in unincorporated, so I can't vote in any of these elections, but you know, I'm still gonna vote for everything else, like president, state senate, state assembly, um, and all of that. But you know, no matter where you live, just vote. Vote for people that you think will represent you the best. Do your research, talk to them ahead of time in advance so they can try to include some of your ideas in their platform so that you can try to hold them accountable to that later. And you know, just, just really encourage everyone that you know to vote because we have a huge opportunity, even just on this one campus out of the many colleges that are in Santa Clara County, to have a huge impact, but we waste it and waste it and waste it time and time again. You know, everyone that goes to school here does not live in downtown San Jose. They do not live in the third city council district or the second supervisorial district. We're really commuting from a lot of different areas and we can have impacts on a lot of these different districts. So it's, it's something that's really key and that I think gets talked about a lot, but people just don't do it. But uh, I just really wanna say it's really important, just do it. You're gonna get a ballot in the mail um, as long as you've changed your address to your correct address where you're living right now. So if you haven't done that, go do that. You can just go to the Secretary of State website or go to the DMV or the Rob office um, and just make sure that you're able to make your voice heard in this election. Thank you guys so much for being here and sharing your knowledge. Um, this topic is really important for everybody and especially something that I care about a lot. So thank you guys so much and that'll be the end of the podcast. We did it. Well, that was freaking beautiful. <laughs> you guys have so